ESPNW presents Be Honest with Carrie Champion. I know that we often have women come up and talk to us about what we can do and how we can be inspired and live our best lives, etc. An ampersand. It's a joke. Um, but tonight, uh, I thought, along with the ESPNW family, wouldn't it be interesting to have someone who had a message for us that really spoke to being more than ourselves. Some So many times we're identified by who we are or what we do. If I'm a mom, if I'm a sister, I'm a brother, um, if I'm a journalist. Um, and, and, and because we're talking about athletes, I know that you guys have heard this saying before and I, and I've, I've used it myself. I might have to pay somebody, but more than an athlete. Do you all know where that came from? More than an athlete? Are we familiar with that saying? LeBron says it often. Um, his partner, uh, in, in crime and in business and building a, a kingdom. His name is Maverick Carter. It's their, it's their mantra. More than an athlete, meaning I, I'm more than that. When I get off the court, when I get off the field, when I get, when I get in my own environment, I want to do more. I want to make change. I want to be a different person. Um, and I'm doing that in a very different way. I'm doing it in an unusual way. I, I remember, and, and I'm just kind of giving you guys background. When I grew up here in LA, grew up here in Los Angeles, not Orange County, but in Los Angeles, I remember the riots, like they were the Los Angeles riots, like it was just yesterday. And there was a time in which so many people gave Magic Johnson a hard time for not speaking out during the riots. Um, and I remember Magic saying, well, I don't know if that was my lane. I don't know if I could do more than that. And now we're seeing every day more and more athletes, as we've seen on this stage tonight and at the summit, athletes are using their voice to do more. And with that in mind, I want to introduce you to, and I'll bring him up to the stage in just a moment. His name is Maverick Carter. Uh, a lot of people know him as LeBron James's best friend, president and CEO of Uninterrupted Spring Hill Entertainment. Um, there are a lot of different projects they've announced. Space Jam 2. Have you guys heard of that coming out soon? Anybody auditioning here for Space Jam 2? If so, we're doing, we're taking headshots and we're doing a quick little meet and greet here at the corner. Uh, there are so many different shows that they are part of. Survivor's Remorse, that was on Showtime. I don't know if you ever saw that. Um, just a great story. Uh, there are documentaries. There's one premiering tonight. It's called Student Athlete. It's about what's happening with the NCAA and how um, following four different athletes and what happened to them on their while they why they dealt with the NCAA. I can go on and on. I mean, Hollywood is a buzz about these people. And I don't know if you heard, but LeBron James is a Laker. Anybody a Laker fan besides me? Okay. Okay. That's cool. Anybody a Laker fan besides me? Yeah. Come on, guys. Guys, yeah. Okay. That's fine if you're not. Well, I'm all set. Um, but... <laughs> I think we're in for a treat when I met this this young lad who is trying to literally make change. He is affecting change. He's doing so many wonderful things. I was just so impressed by his vision. The vision is what isn't possible. Think of your biggest dream. Think of your biggest idea. Think of something that sounds crazy and you don't even want to mention it out loud because it sounds so crazy. He and LeBron are doing it. Um, and we have the pleasure. I just want you to understand the company that we are in right now of one Mr. Maverick Carter. Please come to the stage. Uh, 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 uh. 
out your show. Thank you. Thank you. This is beautiful. Sorry, I can't sing, but you can't. Yeah, I know, right? I'm like, mad how do I we... missed last night. I I'm... love her. How do you how do you feel about following Andra? How do you? It's that is a tough one. I mean, she's fantastic, and and more importantly, she, you know, she's a singer and a songwriter, but more importantly, she's a person who moves you emotionally, which is what you know, what. I'm in the business of is storytelling, but really what I'm in the business of is moving people in some way emotionally is exactly what she does. And it's just fantastic. I can listen to her sing all night. She was special. Hopefully we get to see her tonight. You guys all agree with that. I saw tears. We had tears in our eyes last night. Um, Maverick. So I have, I have to start with this. I want to talk about the more than an athlete slogan, um, how you all came up with it. And, and what it means to you and, and your mission as you tell wonderful, compelling stories. Yeah, I think, you know, again, thank you for having me. This is just beautiful. I was walking in. I was like, wow, this is really impressive. This is beautiful. Um, but more than an athlete, for us at Uninterrupted, that is our version of just do it. It's, it's like Nike says, just do it. Our tagline is, I am more than an athlete. And it came from just the fact that we're in the business of telling stories with athletes and we strive to tell the stories that the athletes care about and that the consumers care about and the, and the most human stories. And when you th think about being a human, none of us are one thing. None of us. We're all brothers, sisters, moms, husbands. We're all more than on any given day. You have to play that role in any given moment. It switches and, you know, I'm into this company now that we're looking at as a supplement company and our, our tagline is life is a workout. So when you think about being an athlete and you guys will hear me reference Nike a lot because I graduated from Nike. That's the school I graduated from. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is I went to Nike uh, 17 years ago to be an intern. Then they hired me. I dropped out of college and finished college at Nike and graduated from there. So um, I I always tell people, if you could tell me a better sports marketing and branding school in the world, then I'm all ears. So, um, but it's all about being more than you actually are, more than what other people project on you and more than what you think you are, and then telling that story. So uh, I, I want to hang there with more than, and by way of background, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to dwell on this, but um, a lot of people know you as LeBron's best friend. You guys grew up together. Um, and if you are in the world of sports, they've created this, if you will, I, I like it. I think that it's an empire. I think that there's a group of friends who grew up in Akron and you guys have taken over different facets of sports and entertainment and said, this is what we're going to do. And I've asked you this before. Was there ever a time when you got together with LeBron while he played with the Cavs, you know, straight from, from high school, let's do this and then let's do that. And then let's do this. Meaning like I'm going to take over. Well, I mean, it was never, I'm going to take over. That's very, <laughs> that's very aggressive. Aggressive. <laughs> to say the least. Um, it was more about, what is, who are we, what do we want to do, and what is the vision? I believe, you know, I played high school football, and I had a coach that used to tell me I played wide receiver. On Thursday night, we'd be walking out of the out of um, the walkthrough, getting ready for Friday, and he used to tell me, tonight before you go to bed, vision yourself making that big catch, scoring the big touchdown. If you can't see it for yourself, then who can? So we definitely had a vision to do something more than just be – basketball player. I always wanted to be seen more as just LeBron's friend. 
And we always talked about kind of where we wanted to go, but we couldn't see, obviously, the future. We didn't know what would happen, but we believed in ourselves. And we believed that if we stuck to who we were, the most authentic version of ourselves, which we've always strived to do, and if LeBron kept the main thing the main thing, which he still does to this day. Someone was just asking me something about LeBron. I said, honestly, this time of year, I don't speak to him a whole lot. Off-season, I speak to him a lot because he's focused on being you know, the best basketball player he can be and hopefully the best basketball player on the planet. But we always had a vision of kind of taking the main thing and then building a business around that. And how do you actually build something long-term and sustainable around that? And that's the key is to build something that will really last. And if you build it on a foundation that is based in authenticity, then it will have a chance to last. If you build it on or something fake, or if you start it with something fake out the gate, or something that isn't real, or take one deal that or a product you don't believe in from the beginning, then you're screwed. Authenticity is a word that I hear a lot, especially in our business, and everyone can't be the their their full selves. They can't bring their full selves to work. They can't be their honest selves for fear of judgment. I think that you have a little room to do that. When were you 100% comfortable in who you were, and what the vision was? That's a great question. I mean, I was, I was always very comfortable in the vision, but to your point, it, it, there was a point I, I've always, I've actually tried to think about this, where I've walked into the room because I used, I remember when we first started. I worked at Nike. I left at the age of twenty-two or twenty-three, maybe. Um, LeBron was nineteen or twenty, and I left to go be his manager and kind of run his business, and that was kind of. The beginning of all this, and I remember at that point, I had a, I had a vision. He believed in the vision. He had a vision, and we started off, uh, started out at it. But when we would go into meetings or meet with people, it did take me a while to realize and to understand that honestly, sitting in the room, I felt like I'm better than you, 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 and you. And I don't remember the exact moment, but there was definitely a time because. Again, I didn't graduate from a college. I, you know, I was always looked at and just talked about as that's LeBron's friend. He's just in the room because he's his friend. And we had a vision, but nobody believed it. No, you know, it's not nothing wrong with them feeling that way. But it did, there was a moment where it clicked where I just went like, I'm confident in what I'm doing. I know exactly who I am. I'm very, um, sure of our vision and sure of what we're up to. And there was a moment when it clicked, but I can't pinpoint it. But there was a moment where I started to feel like I'm, I'm as good as anybody in this business. And that's the moment. I, I, I have to ask you this because you, you mentioned Nike several times and everyone talks about, you know, this is fact or fiction, what you were credited with in terms of doing LeBron's deal. Like I heard multi-million, I heard billion dollar. I, I, can I get an exact number in cents, and then can I get a loan? Um, you absolutely can get a loan, but based on what was spent on the production here, there's definitely somebody around here who could better suit to give you a loan than I don't me. Know. Let me talk These to lights are bright. Uh, <laughs> These lights are bright. And this screen is big. This is a big screen. Yeah. Um, so, 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 listen. We we have you credited as as the guy who did LeBron's lifetime deal. And I want to know what the room was like and were you nervous? You didn't graduate from college. You walk in a room, you're sitting with these executives, although you graduated from the school of Nike. This is, that's intimidating. Yeah, I think, you know, the fact is when you go in to negotiate any deal, the key that 
it is to making a deal, and people, I think, miss this a lot, is you have to be very, very clear on what it is that you want and what's important to you. And that's the easy part. We all walk in going, this is what I want, and I'm going to put my fist down, and I'm going to put my foot down on this one, and I'm not budging, and these are deal breakers. But the hard part, and but the most key is you have to understand what the other side, what's important to them. What are the things that they actually need? Because if you understand what they actually need, and, they, and you know that list, you can ask them, and most times they'll give it to you, or you have to understand, and if you're willing to give them two or three of the five or six things that they need, then they then they give you what you need. And the key is, especially in a deal like that one that we made, where it was more like a joint venture, is everybody has to leave the room feeling good. Nobody can feel the room feeling like they were had or taking advantage of at that moment or 10 years from now or five years from now or 20 because we're going to be in business a very long time. So it was very important that they I understood what they needed, what they needed to get what they needed to get in order to give me and us what we wanted. So in order for us to get the gigantic deal that we wanted and for it to be a lifetime deal, I was clear about what they needed. We gave them some of that and they gave us a lot of what we want. We left feeling fantastic and they left feeling great. And it was this, it was actually a celebration when we signed the contract. Have you guys ever like celebrated after you signed a contract? I, I have yet to get to that point. <laughs> Sage, have you been like high five? Maybe. Okay. So. <laughs> So this was what I I thought was interesting, um, and I and I and this is where I give you a lot of credit. I think we've all been in a room with people who matter and who are very important and who can change lives, and we do get the seat at the table and we do sit up front. All the things that we've been saying that we need to do, but how do you keep their attention? How do you make them you specifically? Um, and, and, and I'll get into the Hollywood aspect of it later, but how do you keep their attention? How do you make the CEO of American Express come to your dinner party? I think, I mean, honestly, it's very simple. I always talk about the fact of the matter is uh, people are all selfish. I mean, and <laughs> I think selfish gets a bad rap because there is nothing wrong with being selfish. In fact, it is very human. It is human nature to be selfish. And the way I explain it always is very simple. When you get on the plane, they tell you something. If the mask dropped down, put yours on first. In that moment, you better be selfish. And and most likely, you're going to do it anyway. Even with and and in the I was just on the plane the other day. And they had a video, and to really stress the point, they had an adult man and a little kid, and he put his mask on first. Then he helped the kid. So my point is, selfish gets a, a bit of a bad rap. But when you're in that room, a lot of people approach it. And I'm just personally, my nature is curiosity. I There's a quote by Einstein that I have no special talent. I'm only passionately curious. And that I live that. That's who I am. My grandmother made me that way. My grandmother, I used to say she plays a game called 20 questions, meaning she asks you 20 questions before you get to ask her one. That was just what she did. So I naturally approach people with curiosity because that's how I learn. That's how I've always learned. I think... When you're in a room and you know you're going to be in a room with a guy like Ken Chenault or whoever, it's most people approach the room and go, when I see this person, I'm going to tell them how I feel, the job I want, what I'm good at, what I'm not. And right off the bat, you're toast. You're not going to get two seconds with that person. But if you are very clear and understand what that person, what their successes have been, Mm. And you approach them and ask them about their successes. Mm. 
then you may get two hours with them. Because there's nothing more that successful people love than talking about their successes. No, is that real? No, seriously. We like talking. I get, oh, I only have five minutes. You're talking about me. I have an hour. Exactly. Right? And, and if you ask them the right questions, you get two outcomes that are very good for you. You learn a lot. You can learn how they did things, how they put things together. Why Why did you think about that? Why did you buy that company? Why did you sell that one at that moment? You get that. And then when you walk away, guess what they say? I really like that person. Yeah. And they they, they just like you because you just talked about them for two hours. But yeah. Everybody, really smart. That's, that's selfish. But yeah. it's na- it's human nature yeah. to like that, to like that. But if you walk up to them and go, hey, I'm Maverick Carter. I've done this. Yeah. I'd love to get a job this. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. They go, hey, man, nice to meet you. Yeah. Here's my assistance number or whatever. They just don't engage with you. It's, and it's just human nature. That's a, a great takeaway. Selfish gets a bad rap, but it's not. It gets a bad rap. I, it's it's not to me. It's not bad. It's no, not a bad thing. Because everybody is, and and it's okay. It's, ask the airlines. Yeah, yeah. Hi. They don't hide it. They tell dad, you. son, you, dad, put your mask on first. If, if air is short, you better get some first. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I love you. I love you, two year old. But I'm all of a sudden, mine. this room's this plate. We started to run out of yeah. air. You better try and get some first <laughs> before you start assisting someone else. I'm with you. Okay, so to that end, I think. That um, a lot of good and bad, and we'll start with the good, a lot of the good press about uh, LeBron coming to Los Angeles has been he had one focus, which was to to obviously come to the Lakers, but it was because it was going to be beneficial to his after career, him being um, in Hollywood, if you will. And then as once he was it was announced, he was a Laker, there was a, a series of deals that were announced and they were just I felt like they were coming out every other day that Spring Hill Entertainment introduces and launches and Uninterrupted will be doing this. Um, I ask you, because obviously these deals were in place prior to, but I ask you, I ask you this, what is your goal in this world called Hollywood or in story, in storytelling? Yeah, I think, you know, I've been here going on three years long before uh, Mr. James arrived in L.A., but he had a house here, but before he came here to play and we've been building our company for three years and that was just a timing thing. But my goal has always been, as I said, I never wanted to be in Hollywood. I never wanted to be in movie making or TV show making or or even storytelling. I actually thought, again, I started my career at Nike. I thought I was in the brand building business, the business of brand marketing, working at a company like Nike, working with athletes to build the brand of Nike and sell sneakers. But what I realized as I spent more time at Nike than I left and I worked with Nike is that actually we're all in the storytelling business. Mm. If, if you're a brand or if you're a company that sells a product, it basically comes down to two things. You're either selling a product that solves someone's problem. Mm. Somebody has a headache, they need an Advil, right? Somebody, you know, you're either solving a problem or you're, you're telling a story about your brand, about your product. And that's from a business perspective. So at Nike, I always tell people, Nike is much more like Disney than they are like any other uh, company selling a product. Because the fact of the matter is, when I worked at Nike and before when I was a kid watching everything that Nike did, Nike is in the business of storytelling. And then they sell sneakers. Much like Disney. Disney tells stories and then they sell subscriptions and movie tickets. That's the only difference. Because Nike, instead of using 
you know, uh, Spider-Man and the Avengers and whatever characters Disney can dream up and, and a, a writer can write, they use Serena and Michael Jordan and Tiger and LeBron James, and they tell you stories about them. Long stories, very long stories over, think about Michael Jordan, they've been telling his story since 84, and they just serialize it. Because I always ask people this question, when you watch a Nike commercial, everyone in here has seen a Nike commercial, how many times have they told you something about the sneakers? They never do. Let me ask you another question. Has anyone, if anyone in here has seen a Nike commercial that they told you the price of the sneakers, raise your hand. <laughs> they never do. But you watch like a, like a car company. They tell you all this stuff and you're like, I, I've been watching, I've been driving since I was 16. I'm, I'll be 37 next week. I've been driving since I was 16. I still don't know what the hell horsepower is. Yeah. I have no, Does I just anyone don't. know about what horsepower is in know, the audience? I, and I, and I oh, don't you know. do? There's one. No, I actually don't. Okay. And I don't know why I need more of it <laughs> on Santa Monica Boulevard where it takes you two hours to get up two miles. Why do I need 450? I, I don't get it. 450 or, horsepower. Or is... dual torque or this or that. <laughs> My point is Nike doesn't do that. And they definitely don't. They never sell you, you know, buy one, get one free or now 999 used to be. 15 bucks. Now it's 12. They just tell you beautiful. We did a commercial last year with LeBron with them. And in that commercial, not only did, were there no shoes, you couldn't even see anyone's feet. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even kidding. You couldn't even see feet. And we're selling sneakers. So I realized I was always in the storytelling business. And, and the storytelling business about getting someone to emotionally move with you and be down with you and feel it in a very authentic way. And that's how I ended up in this business and how I ended up that that's what I was always in love with. And that's the part of Nike I love. And other brands, I'm using Nike because I work there, but other brands do a fantastic job of that too. You just, yeah, nothing more, a great story can change lives. Of course. It, it, it moves you. Uh, so I, I appreciate you saying that, especially for what we're doing here. Um, so telling a story you are working on a series of projects and what you just told me as I'm trying to summarize was that you never got into the storytelling business, but you realized it was the most effective where you could really see the change. Um, and mentioning all the projects that you're working on you, LeBron, Steve Stout, you all are working on something that premieres tonight on HBO. It's called student athlete. Um, Tell me about that story, um, why you all got involved in that project. So that project was a project brought to me um, actually by a friend of mine, a long-term friend of mine who's in the advertising and music business, Steve Stout. But it's, it, it, I mean, a lot of the media, and it feels like it's about the NCAA, but it's actually about five human beings, four who were student athletes and one who was a coach um, who came up in big-time college sports, fo uh, football and basketball, and it's actually done, it's co-directed by two females, two women, uh, an Oscar winning, Oscar winner named Charmaine and Trish, who are Oscar winning documentarians who actually don't give a shit about sports. And actually Charmaine is from Pakistan, didn't even know what the NCAA was, but what she cares about in the stories that she told is about humans. And when she started to learn and unpack what was going on with the NCA? she realized that there was a human story here. So our doc follows five human beings. It doesn't go into the NCA. It doesn't, we don't interview people from the NCA. We literally follow these five humans who are going through the system. One's being recruited. One's a coach. One just graduated. One's about to graduate. 
one's in the middle of it, and follow their lives and see what is happening as they go through this. And it's just a fantastic story of five humans, but it's also the reason I wanted to do it is A, because it's a great story that's very emotional, it's very true, it's very authentic, but also I hope it sparks a real conversation, not about necessarily the NCAA, but about the human beings who go through that system. I was a college athlete myself who go through that system and what they have to endure and what they see. And of course, there is no quick solution to it because the system wasn't built overnight. So it's not you're not going to snap a finger and fix it. But hopefully this starts a conversation to get real people moving towards a solution. And HBO loved our idea and put it up. So what you say a solution is there's no quick fix, but you you start this conversation. What do you hope that the end goal will be if you start the conversation? Well, I hope the end goal becomes that the human beings in the system get treated fairly. That's the, the all of the human beings, because right now only a portion of them get treated fairly. Right. The coaches get paid. The sponsors pay a lot of money. The media companies pay a lot of money. The athletic directors get paid a lot of money. But the, the athletes going through it are the ones that are the last ones that aren't getting treated fairly within the system. And, and there's I, nothing wrong with college sports. Yeah. I love college sports. It's just there are human beings that, that when, you know, when I turn on TV and watch Ohio State on a Saturday, those are human beings out there playing. I'm watching on a network that paid a lot of money to broadcast it. They're wearing uniforms and spikes from a company like Nike that paid a lot of money for them to wear that. So they should be treated fairly in that system. I read that you had a response to those. There, because The other argument is, yeah, please, please feel free. Uh, the other argument is, is that the they're getting a free education. I read your response to that. Can you share? Well, the, the response to that is, first off, I mean, there's so many layers to that, that, you know, do the coaches, does the administrators really care that they get a great education? Because, you know, we, we go into that in our doc. One of the guys just graduated from Rutgers and he has a degree and he can't get a job because he has a bullshit degree. Because they give these guys, you know, one guy had a degree in like coaching. They, a lot of them get degrees in African-American studies where you walk into a job with that degree, you're not likely to get hired. A, so that's part of it. B, the other part of it is, the education part of it is always there. You can always get an education. You can always, universities and institutions, great institutions in this country have been around for hundreds upon hundreds of years. So you can always get an education or go back and get an education. And that's part of it too, because one of the kids in the dock gets hurt. And now how he is treated through the system is different. So I think just giving them an education also would be fine if Nick Saban didn't make $11 million. Like, how about they just give Nick Saban an education? Why does he get to get eleven million? You know what I mean? Why does he he should he should coach Alabama? Not to pick on Nick Saban, he just happens to be the highest paid coach in college, so he's easy. He's a target. But how about he get an education in in, in you know human studies and go to school to to learn how to turn young men into, I mean young boys into men instead of getting paid eleven million dollars? Again, not to pick on Nick Saban because we've had our battles in the past speaking of nick saban what a great segue the shop shall we um so you have a show yep. what wait what was that was the was there a back and forth about the shop because he had something with the shop what was that um well the fact is um you know a show inside of a barbershop is not a 
you know, a groundbreaking idea, no. a conversation in the barbershop. So we did a show called The Shop, which he then, his Alabama football program, they did, again, in our docu- part of our documentary is these, you know, these football facilities are beautiful, and the University of Alabama has a beautiful barbershop yeah. inside their facility, and they started doing a show out of it, which I didn't care that he did. He just called it The Shop, and we had a trademark. And we were like, you can do your show, just don't call it the shop. Mm-hmm. And we settled it, and they still do their show and call it something else. I don't know what they call it. So how do you get all these people in the shop, first of all? And then and then the process of the shop is to tell stories. But what are you trying to do? Because, again, that's not unique, but someone felt it was important to tell this story. Yeah, the, the shop is a show that's all about having um, the most insightful entertaining and authentic conversations wrapped around sport and culture. And and we never know where it's going to go. That's the beauty of it. We tape that show. It's three and a half hours. And in fact, we try and keep it tight, meaning people come in and people go like a regular barbershop, but the conversation gets so good that no one ever wants to leave. And it becomes a production issue, actually, um, that I don't have to deal with, but our wonderful team has to deal with Hannah and Rob. They figure it out. But um, we just try and have the most, you know, entertaining. We want the conversation. You know, we had John Stewart there, who's obviously one of the greatest entertainers um, of our generation there. And we try and make it authentic, but also entertaining. So when you hear LeBron talk about getting into an argument at an AAU game, and then he says it's, he got into it with a mom, we're like, whoa, holy <laughs> Like, could you, I mean, just imagine that. LeBron I could James not. At an AU, at a 13 year old game, arguing with some lady, you know, from Iowa or something about a basketball game. And so the, that part is entertaining, but he's also telling a, a real story. So um, that's what we try and do. And we try and get people in who really want to have a real open and honest dialogue about what's going on in our world, their worlds personally, this country what's going on in culture, what's top of mind in culture, and we've actually succeeded, and, and we now have people wanting to come on more than we ever imagined that want to be on the show and want to talk about things. They look at that as a form to talk about things that they've never talked about anywhere else and feel like they can't. Do you ever worry about what you talk about in the shop because it's such a free conversation will affect you business-wise? I mean, you can't do that because then if if I said something on this stage or in the shop that I, I assume you're saying someone won't want to do business with me, sure. then I don't want to do business with them anyway. Say it again. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> if you don't believe in what I'm saying or yeah. if you have a problem with it, then that's not the person I want yeah. to do more business no, with. And I have no problem with that at all. But and Maverick, we can still be cool and have a cocktail or whatever, but we don't have to do business. But Maverick, everybody's not in that position. You're speaking to a room full of people who, who may still have to make some some concessions if you will so so how do they move in that room well i think you know for anyone who feels like they have to make concessions they should really first actually look in the mirror and ask themselves who are they and and if they feel like they have to make a concession what are they making it for do they really is it really worth that and if you come to a conclusion that it is which i probably could always make the argument on the other side of the mirror that it ain't because if you stay to who you are and you really believe in something and you really feel something and the person across from you or who you're trying to do business with, they have a, 
a conflicting opinion or a different idea, then they should just speak about it and you guys should have a conversation about it. That's what the shop is about. That's what life is about. That's what growing is about. Either you will end up agreeing with them or they will agree with you or you'll walk away in disagreement. But if, if in any way they believe because of your opinion it should discredit your work, I would tell you that's not a person you want to do business with. That's fair. And like that's a nugget to take with us, seriously. Um, last night, I remember Andrew saying, chase your fear, do what scares you the most, um, because that's where the real freedom is. And I, and so I have to ask you the same question, um, as we close, what, if at all, is your fear? Well, I believe fear, fear, um, one of my mentors, uh, guy, Jimmy Iveen taught me this early, that fear is something that is really, really, really strong. It is powerful. It is extremely powerful. I mean, and it, it's so powerful, you can, it can lock you in your house and you never want to come out for no apparent reason. The fear is irrational. It's dangerous. It's powerful. But if you can find a way to, to take it and not let it be a wall in front of you or not let it close you in, because fear will close you in, um, and you can take it and get it behind you. And let it be your firepower. Let it be what pushes you. You can go really far. And it, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, you have to get your mind around, you know, what am I after? What am I trying to get after? What am I going for? But more importantly, what do I have to lose? What am I, what am I really, what is really, do I really truly have to lose? And I think a lot of people have a hard time considering that, considering what do I have to lose? And I grew up, my grandmother ran in after hours and it was gambling every night on, on Thursday, Friday and Saturday night. And I learned how to, that's the first thing she taught me when I was five years old is how to gamble. And as a gambler, that's all you consider is, is what do you have to lose? What's that risk? What's my reward versus my risk? And you're doing that over and over as a gambler. So I naturally do that. But if you could take that fear and really turn it into firepower, you could do things that you never imagined. What's the end game for Maverick Carter? The end game, I mean, you make it sound so near. It's um, tomorrow. <laughs> I feel like I'm just starting, but you make it seem. I think you, like, at the end of the day, not end game as if you're wrapping up, but at the end of the day, what what would be your, what would, and I don't want to say your greatest accomplishment because I don't want to make it so definite, but what do you, where do you see yourself? Because you will graduate from this level and to a new level. Well, what I, what I hope to do, um, because again, Going back to being selfish, when I first started my career, leaving Nike, becoming an entrepreneur, I wanted to get relationships, build my business, make money, do well, get knowledge, get understanding, make money, do things great, take care of my family. And then, because I'm, again, my point, everyone's selfish, you, that's just natural that that's what you want. I, I had nothing, I was just starting. But now what I've realized is, if I, if I take all the knowledge I've gotten, all the understanding that I've gotten, the money I've made, the relationships I've made, the business I work on, the people I get to know, and just use it for self, then that would be horrible. That would be totally horrible for me because there's many young people who come from a place like me who feel like I did when I was that age who could use a lot of what I have. So if I don't one day take the same energy, the same power, the same muscle that I put into 
building my company, building myself, making money for myself, gaining knowledge for myself, if I don't somehow figure out a way to muster that same vigor and that same energy to give it to someone else, then I fail. Meanwhile, have we not been entertained and educated by one Maverick Carter? Sorry, I couldn't sing. Sorry, I couldn't Please stand up. Maverick Carter, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, family. Thank you. There you go. Thank you.